0: All well, good evening, support staff. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be up here in front of you to be able to speak about God and faith and, and just have a conversation about what it means to follow Jesus. If you don't know me, my name is Luke. I'm one of the Taleos directors, and I have the pleasure of working with our up-and-coming cabin leaders running the leadership program we have here in the months of July and August. And it's been such a pleasure and such a joy to be here at SABC. This is my first time ever at SABC. I have friends who have worked here, but have never been here myself until my first day of work on April 29th. And so it's been such a joy. Now tonight tonight we're going to ask a question that is, is a pretty important one. It's the question of what does it mean to call Jesus my Lord? And i got to be honest, I, I've wrestled with this question Uh, in different ways throughout the years so I became a follower of Jesus when I was about 16 and this was a question that really bugged me because when I read history books and when I watched movies and when I observed how people treated other people who were in positions of authority they often referred to that person as Lord and I would transfer that over to my faith and when I'd read the Bible I would see that the word Lord shows up over and over and over and over again from start to finish. It's a word that the Bible uses very commonly. It's a title that's referred to God and ultimately to Jesus um, many, many times. And so I think this is a question we need to ask if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus. We need to understand what it means and we need to understand what it looks like for us in a practical sense and what it means to actually call Jesus Lord and then live as if he is. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. We're only going to look at two verses today, short and sweet and simple. And here's the thing, here's, here's what's the context of Romans 12, okay? Paul is writing this letter to this church in Rome, hence to the book called, being called Romans, and he's explaining in chapter 11 that God desires to show his mercy to all people, there were people who believed that God only desired to show mercy and forgiveness and compassion towards the people of Israel. And Paul's is kind of re, like, uh, he's rebutting, refuting that. He's pushing against that, saying, no, God longs for the people of Israel to be saved. But he longs, his mercy is so big and so wide, he longs for all people to be saved. All people to receive his mercy. All people to turn from their sin. And yet he still has a a deep and affectionate love for the people of Israel. But it's now all people, including you and me, thankfully, that can receive this love and this grace and this mercy. You see, because God chose the people of Israel to be his representatives in the world. He had a mission for them, almost a job, a task in a sense. His relationship with Israel was that they were to know him as God, as the creator of the universe, and that in response, they would show the world and the nations around them who this God is by how they lived and how they acted. But if you've read your Old Testament, you know that doesn't happen. Not only does Israel fail to reach the standards that God puts forward, but sometimes they fail to represent him at all sometimes showing a a complete and utter uh, rebellion or disdain or even, um, it'd be maybe a stretch to say hatred, but certainly a a disobedience towards God and a, a unwillingness to do what he says. And so it's within this context that Paul is saying, even though the Israelites failed, God still loves them and desires them to be saved. And even more so, he desires all people of all nations and races and tribes, everybody, to come and know him. And so this is what Romans 12 says. In light of what Jesus has done, Romans 12 says this, in light of what Jesus has done, his sacrifice on the cross for on, our, on behalf of all people's sins, it says this. Now, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve of what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so you see, the idea of Jesus being Lord, of God being Lord, is you'll, you'll find it from cover to cover. Okay, and I know, I know our verses didn't quite mention that word Lord, but it's really important we recognize that. The Bible kind of just assumes that we picture God as Lord, as a figure of authority over us. The Bible paints a picture of God being um, the ultimate authority. There are other authorities that we should listen to. You should listen to Ben and Chantel. You should listen to me. You should listen to your other leaders. You should obey your parents. Those are other authorities, but he's the ultimate authority. He's worthy of all your love, all your affection. He's the only one worthy of all your worship. You shouldn't worship comfort or pleasure or yourself. He is the only one who is worthy of these things. In fact, you could even take it a stretch further. that You could say he's the king and he's the king of everything and everyone. Everything comes under his authority and his leadership. Everything and everyone, even if they don't live like it. And you know, guys, historically, and I kind of touched on this, Like, if you were of noble birth or belonged to a royal family, uh, you were treated with, a, 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 there was a distinction of respect that belonged to you. There was a level of respect and, and honor and, and grace that was shown to people, uh, not just royalty and, and nobility, but also in some cultures, um, males, just males in general, in particular older males, if they were the elders or the leaders of the village. Um, even in Canada, up to, I'd say, probably the beginning of the 20th century, it wasn't rare or uncommon to call your father Lord, Not in a a bad way, necessarily, but in a way of just respect, because this is a person who is over you. They have authority over you. They know better than you, and they're worth leading you. There's someone in charge. And you see, when I, you see, so when I was growing up in my parents' household, okay, there were, there were, there was, there were rules, okay? Rules are great. Who loves rules? Right? Okay. Isaac, love that. So, you see... There was, there were rules, there were patterns of behavior, there were, there were um, ideas that I was expected to follow as a child and behave um, in line with them. And if I, if I stepped out of that, those boundaries and those rules, there was a consequence. I was punished. And I wasn't punished because my parents hated me or because they didn't like me or because they, they wanted to hurt me. I was punished because I stepped outside of the boundaries the boundaries that my parents established, the boundaries that my parents chose and prayed over and thought about, that if we establish these rules and these guidelines for our children, this will help raise them to be healthy and successful and good human beings. And it all boils down to the fact that they were over me. They had an authority that was above me. They, in a sense, you could even say I belonged to them. They owned me, in a sense, you could say that. So you see, this is my pen, okay? My pen. I spent a hard-earned dollar on this pen, okay? Hard-earned dollar. I can do whatever I want with this pen. I can write with it. I expect it to work. I expect it to do what I want it to do when I write it. I can kick it. I can do whatever I want. It's my pen. It belongs to me. I, I have an authority over it. Now that's a bit of an, uh, a bit of a different analogy to how God works with His children, but you see you see my point, right? Like, you see that that because that pen belongs to me, I can choose to do what I would like with it. And so likewise, when you guys are in positions of authority, if you ever are, you have the freedom and the responsibility to decide how do those under me, um, how do those under me, how do I establish boundaries and rules that's going to help them flourish, going to help them thrive help them survive, and help them grow as human beings, as followers of Jesus, as individuals. And when we read the Bible, we see that God has done the same thing. He has designed life to be lived a certain way. He has designed relationships to be done a certain way. And I'm talking friendships, relationships between parents, like all relationships. That there be love and forgiveness and mercy and sacrifice and servanthood toward one another. That's how God has designed relationships to work and to flourish. He has designed sexual sexuality to be a certain way, between one man and one woman in a covenant of marriage together for life. He's designed us to worship him and him and nothing else, not comfort, not pleasure. And when we do that, when we step outside of these boundaries, when we step outside of the way God has designed us to live, naturally, there's a consequence. We've broken the rules. And sometimes, you know, you know, because I was watching this movie um, a few years ago, and this couple um, got into a really big argument in the film, and and they, they, they were married, and they're thinking of getting divorced. And the woman looked at the husband, and she said, "I'm," and, uh, and sorry, and all this happened in a church. And she said, "I'm just I'm so surprised. We're in this this church, this holy place. I'm surprised God hasn't struck us with lightning, like for what we just did. We just yelled at each other. We were, and, and it was and it was quite intense too. And you see, that's not." That is not God's response to our sin and our, 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 that's not the consequence we ought to expect. If you think God wants to destroy you or smite you because of your sin, he would have already done it. But that's just not how God works. God, God, his, while God's response to sin is just and God has anger and God gets angry and is angry at sin, at injustice, at brokenness, God's response to you and me as his followers, as his children, was ultimately to send his son in our place. That even though you broke the rules, he gets punished. Kind of like, like, and, and, and it's, not, it's not, we don't want to simplify this. Like It's not, it's not that um, you get away with it and you walk away and there's no, there's no justice whatsoever. It's that the justice you deserve is already paid and poured out on someone else. So if you've done something and you know the punishment that you deserve with Jesus, it's not like an older sibling who gets punished when you did something and they're like, yeah, but someone else did it. And you're like, no, it wasn't me and you lie. That's not quite what's going on here. It's because if you do that, if you lie to your parents and say sister did it and then sister gets punished, you can still be found out and still be punished for it. But with Jesus, what happened on the cross is that when he was punished in our place, all that punishment, all that anger that God had was poured out. And so when we come to him, when we come to Jesus in faith, believing and repenting of our sin, the anger and punishment and wrath of God that he longs, that he poured out, that he could pour out on us is gone because it's already been poured out on his son. It's not there anymore, in a sense. It doesn't mean God isn't displeased or angry with our sin. It just means that the the judgment and the condemnation you rightfully deserve that we deserve for stepping outside of God's boundaries is gone. It's been paid for. It's been dealt with in Jesus. It's no longer it's no longer it's just no longer it's not like God is just ready to smite you. He's in Christ, your sins can be forgiven past, present and future. But the thing is, and this this brings me all the way back to the scripture, the the the, the, the verses we read. What Paul's saying in Romans 12 is that in light of this, God demands a response. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. It is not the Christian life and the Christian walk to believe Jesus is your Lord and then walk away and do whatever you want. That is not Christianity. And I would go as far to say you are not a Christian if you believe that is what Christianity is. There has to be a response. There has to be a a, um, a a something in you has to react to what God has done, and if you don't, then you're not following Jesus. There has to be something this this turning of Him to you. And so, what that looks like is coming under the authority of Jesus, of calling Him our Lord, of of, of really what all it looks like is just surrendering to His plan, His design. His way of life, his way of flourishing, and coming under him and his his lordship, his authority. In a sense, it's almost like making him the leader. In a sense, it's like you lose control. So when I read the Sermon on the Mount and I see what Jesus talks about when he talks about anger and how we're supposed to deal with anger and respond uh, to anger in our lives, that's now because Jesus is my Lord. I take that teaching and I'm like, "Hey, Lord, this is your authority." This is what you say, and even though I'm, I'm upset with someone or I'm angry at someone right now, with your help and through your power, you can help me forgive them, and you can help me move on. You can help me step back into the boundaries and the design that God has established for me that he wants me to live in. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's not, it's not praying this prayer and then doing nothing. There's a response, and there's a response of understanding Jesus is in charge and I am not and that can be scary and that can be complicated at times. I when I was growing up, my plan, my plan, I was like 16, I didn't really have a plan, but my plan was to go into sports journalism. I was going to go to the University of Saskatchewan, that's where I grew up in Saskatchewan and get a degree in journalism and I mean the dream would be to like go to NBA games and watch basketball and write like little news articles on it and get paid for it. But <laughs> But God got a hold of my life when I was 16 and I submitted and I came under his leadership and his authority as Lord of my life and he asked me to give that up and instead work at Bible camp. And eight summers later, here we are. I'm still working at camp. wasn't part of the plan. The first camp I worked at was five hours away from where I grew up. But that was where God called me. It was scary. It was difficult. But that was what he intended for me. In regards to different things in my life, there have been relationships in my life, people who are close to me, that we, our relationship has been fractured. It's been hurt. It's been damaged. There's bitterness. There's unforgiveness. There's, there's a lot of anger. But when I come under Jesus as my Lord, as my leader, as my boss in a sense, but as my, my, loving, my loving leader, my loving Lord, when I come under his authority and his le- leadership, I recognize that his teaching on relationships is to forgive and to reconcile, and to move on, and that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's what it means to call him my Lord. It's not enough. We use this term, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I don't think that's it's bad to use it. It's just an interesting term. You accepted. Oh, you accepted. You accepted him? You just said, I accept this, Lord God. I accept you for who you are. I think it's fine to use that term. I just feel like it doesn't, it doesn't speak to the response that's necessary, I think a better term is I surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And is that you? Are, are you surrendering and in the process of surrendering or not? Are there things in your life, maybe your, your, your sexuality, how you handle money, how you, how you do relationships where you grab it and you're like, that's mine. And if there is, you're stepping outside of God's boundary. You're stepping outside of God's design for how we're supposed to walk with him and walk with other people. And ultimately, there will be a consequence. You will hurt yourself and you will hurt others. And we're all prone to this. Okay, I do this all the time. But what's beautiful about Romans is that there's another verse, which I don't have up on the screen, but it's in Romans 5, and it talks about where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Where sin is abundant, where there's lots of it, where your failures add up, God's grace is ahead of it. It's outweighing it. It's out-expanding it. It's bigger than it. So the sins in your life, whatever it is, whether there are are habits or relationships that are broken or whatever, God's grace is always, it's like, I like to think of it as like a well that if you keep filling it, you can't fill it to the brim with water because the well just keeps expanding. And the call on you when you hear that is to respond. There's sin in your life that God wants to get rid of, to take away, and he can do that when you surrender to him. Through his grace. By making him Lord and not yourself. And repenting from that. Changing from that. And confessing it. And you see, I love, I love the second part of Romans two, 12 verse 2. Because it says, Then, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. The people who don't know God. Don't do what they do. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's this transformation that takes place in your life. When Jesus is Lord. Things change. And it's, sometimes, sometimes, guys, it's not very noticeable. Sometimes you might be comparing yourself to other people and you're like, I, you know, I, I wonder why my faith isn't growing like my Christian friend is. And that's okay. Because sometimes change takes time and sometimes a lot of it happens and you don't even realize it until years later. But when you come under Jesus as your Lord, as your leader, as the one who's in charge, you will start to see as you... As you learn to walk with him, when you fail and you confess and repent and come back and fail and confess and repent and come back and keep, just keep walking with him step by step, you will start to see it. it will be, the spirit will affirm it in your heart. And so friends, in closing, the last thing I want to say is at 23, not mature in my faith, have a lot of growth, a lot of sin in my life that God needs to rip out and change and transform me into a person. But I can testify to you that sur- surrendering to Jesus and submitting to him as Lord of your life is the most freeing thing you will ever do. The sins in your life, the, the, the wrong things to worship, whether that people, money, or sex, or whatever, if you, if you call that Lord, if you say, no, this pleasure, this, this comfort I take in, in this, whatever it is, it will make you a slave and it will be a terrible master. But Jesus... Being a slave to Christ is true freedom. And I've experienced that in my life. I long to experience it more. Jesus is the kind of Lord and the kind of Savior who's worth following. He's worth submitting to. He's worth giving your life to. And so as I was was just jotting notes down, I I asked myself, what kind of king lays his life down for his people? What kind of master would die for his subjects? And it's the kind of king that's worth following. It's the kind of Lord that's worth submitting to. It's someone that, someone that I'd be willing to give up my life for. That I'd gladly, gladly lose my pleasures and my plans and my comforts so that I can know him. And that's the kind of king that Jesus is. That's the kind of Lord that Jesus is. So I'm going to pray for us and we'll go from there. Lord, God, I thank you that you love us. God, if there's anything we should take home from campus, that Jesus loves me. I pray, Lord, that as we wrestle with our different backgrounds and stories and, and circumstances that we're going home to, Lord, that we would understand what it means to call you our Lord. That we would understand what it means to submit to you and to just let your grace work in our hearts. I pray that each and every person in this room we would be able to experience the freedom that comes from surrendering to, to you. In Jesus' name, amen.